With energy costs skyrocketing and fossil fuel emissions continuing to contribute to ongoing climate change, alternative energy sources like offshore wind have become crucial to our nation's sustainability efforts. We're talking about the money being there for this, and we're, we're sort of at the moment here where so much investment is, gonna go, is going into it that you're going to see things pop up more consistently with offshore wind, and then it's going to become a, a bigger player. Here on Staten Island, officials hope the borough's location and natural resources can position Staten Island to become a powerhouse in the offshore wind industry in the coming years. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance science and breaking news reporter Joseph Ostapiuk to discuss the future of the offshore wind industry on Staten Island and how it could benefit the borough and the state in the coming years. Thanks for joining me today, Joe. We received some really positive feedback on your last episode discussing Staten Island landfills. So if you haven't listened to that yet, I would strongly recommend checking it out. So yeah, I wanted to have you back on to talk about the future of offshore wind in the borough and you know, it seems like these science stories that you've been working on recently are, are really taking off. You know, what would you say has been kind of the biggest surprise to you since you started focusing in on this beat? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Eric. I appreciate appreciate it. I, I'm not sure if necessarily I, I'm surprised at this point yet. I, I knew coming into this beat that, you know, the fact that we're on an island, that geographical location, it, it rests against the Atlantic. It means things that like climate resiliency, extreme weather, all that stuff matters a lot to us. So and that it's going to affect our readers. So more than anything, I, I feel like the first few months of me handling this beat has been more of like an affirmation that, you know, what I thought going into this area coverage is what it is. And the the volume of work is just sort of, to me, a confirmation of you know, how important this is to, to Staten Islanders. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think initially when you first started it, uh, I kind of thought, and, and some others might have been like, okay, a science beat, that's interesting. But like, how much stuff is there really that you've got to dig into there? But then you mentioned it with the fact that we're an island, we've got the the water all around us, we've got these wetlands that I know you've got, you're working on a ton of stories about, we'll probably touch on that at some point in a later podcast. But there really is just so much going on here in that, in that beat. So I'm really glad that we're back to having a point where we have a reporter kind of dedicated to covering that in the way that we had in the past, but but didn't really for a little while. So I'm really excited about the work that you've been doing, and I know uh, everybody else is uh, really appreciating it as well. Let's get to today's story. So before we dig into the specifics on Staten Island, can you just give our listeners a brief overview of what the offshore wind industry does and, and why it's so important to our state, our country, and really the whole world moving forward, it seems? Yeah, for sure. So this is a big topic. So offshore wind is becoming a real important player in the energy field for the United States. Many people have likely seen wind farms or wind turbines in their lives on one way or another, whether or not it's in person or on television. The concept for offshore wind is similar. Winds push these giant blades that rotate these mechanisms inside a turbine and then they trans electricity they're under underwater cables to substations and then the substations transmit energy offshore winds a little bit different than onshore wind which people have probably seen a lot more of offshore wind turbines can be built taller and therefore they could harness more energy and this also usually more energy, uh, more wind out at sea more consistently. So it's a more consistent energy source, which is important, obviously, for when you're talking about alternative energy sources, having it be reliable. But the entire industry right now is is pretty much blooming. You know, a recent United United Nations report, they found solar and wind power accounted for around 10% of the nation's energy. And and that total is only expected to increase. So 10% seems small, but it's pretty, you know, it's actually pretty considerable 
considering we don't have as many actual wind farms operational yet. Locally, uh, the gov- our, our governor, Kathy Hochul, announced the state's committing around $500 million to offshore wind investment, which is obviously a, a tremendous amount of money. And an auction to build an, an offshore wind farm uh, in the New York Bight, which is it starts around 40 nautical miles off of Staten Island's coast, sold for $4.4 billion. So and that's billion would it be. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about the money being there for this. And we're, we're sort of at the moment here where so much investment is, gonna go, is going into it that you're going to see things pop up more consistently with offshore wind. And then it's going to become a, a bigger player. But you mentioned, I mean, for the country, it's also important because we, we have to transition from fossil fuels. Basically, every scientist is, is in agreement that greenhouse gas emissions are, are a, a deleteriously affecting our our environment our atmosphere and it's causing the temperature of the planet to increase which for people who live on Staten Island they should care about it because it's obviously a it's going to affect the borough considerably in the coming decades. It's obviously very important stuff moving forward. And, and now that we've gotten kind of a little background on, on the industry, you know, what is it about Staten Island specifically that, that kind of makes it the ideal location for some of these projects that we're going to discuss? Yeah, I mean, so to fuel this, this push towards offshore wind energy, you need ports and you need manufacturing facilities to actually facilitate this. This is going to be a obviously a money-making business. It also is a job-creating business, which I know we'll go into. But there are large pieces of equipment that are required to, to have this stuff go down. I mean, if, if you look at it, I mean, these are massive, massive pieces of machinery. And Staten Island is sort of geographically positioned in a way that could make us a main player in this industry. Um, I know we'll talk about the two ports now that are sort of being eyed here, but by being close to the Atlantic, where most of these wind farms are going to be along the East Coast, it gives us an opportunity to be a source of materials, be a source of uh, of jobs, obviously, as I mentioned, but also of manufacturing to to sort of fuel these to fuel these offshore wind farms. And so, the article that published on Wednesday talks about a request for proposals that was re- recently issued by the New York City Economic Development Corporation for this thirty three acre city owned property in Rossville along the West Shore. What can you kind of tell us about this site and and what the city is hoping will come of it in the coming years? Sure. So this is a 33-acre site. I want to give Staten Island as a picture of sort of where it is. If you've driven on the West Shore Expressway, you've definitely seen those big LNG oil tanks, you know, those two massive tanks. It basically curves around that in a sort of crescent form. It doesn't include those tanks, but it it curves around it and then attaches to the waterfront. Um, It's a city-owned property. It's currently unused make you know obviously makes it valuable but even more significant is that the site connects to a federally maintained waterway by the army corps of engineers so basically that there's a channel there that is already dredged and maintained so that ships can go in and out of it easily which is obviously a concern i mean like you talk about the waters like off the south shore for example you can walk for a long way off the south shore and and not necessarily be past your neck in in water which makes it difficult for boats to transport things out of there sometimes so having a channel already uh, maintained is, is very important as, as a site, and it's sort of what makes this so valuable. And what the city's hoping for is that, uh, you know, and they put out this request for proposals, basically allowing people to submit their ideas for the site, is that somebody uses this site for offshore wind. 
and takes advantage of those geographical advantages that we have and then also the advantages of the site itself. Yeah, and and what exactly would that look like in terms of using it for offshore wind? Would they be potentially producing, you know, materials that would be used in these wind farms or or what what would that kind of look like potentially because again this is they're still looking at the proposals yeah exactly that's what i was going to say i mean the the proposals could be wide-ranging and i I, that's what i'm curious about to see is where exactly what angle this takes we've seen in the arthur kill terminal which is a little bit further along in this process already basically is 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 being you know touted as a staging area assembly area for this so i'm not sure exactly what necessarily it's going to be yet but it could fall within that line of the assembly process it could fall within the line of providing materials but yeah they, they definitely want it to be sort of uh, in that earlier stages process that allows it to make these massive wind farms that are going to be important to our uh, our energy sources. You know, in recent years, we've heard a lot from local elected officials about how the development on the west shore of the borough could help create what, you know, some have coined a jobs coast. I know that was a popular term among our former borough president, uh, Jimmy Otto. So, you know, how important is this project and, and others that have been proposed along the west shore for kind of the economic future of the borough? Yeah, I spoke to Max Taffet. He's the vice president of Port NYC uh, planning for NYC EDC. I, you know, in my mind, it's really the, the last major piece of waterfront-oriented, industrial-appropriate, city-owned real estate. You look at New York City, Staten Island for many historic reasons, but also for kind of geographic orientation, proximity to good water and to the lease areas. There's a lot of elements of that Venn diagram that are creating this moment. The goal with this particular RFP is to put forward an opportunity related to the natural attributes of this piece of property. I think he said it best. He basically noted that this is really working to fulfill that goal of of it being a jobs coast, of reimagining what the western coast of this borough could be. I say western coast because I know our west shore, it's technically the western shore of the island, but it's Rossville is technically the South Shore, but getting nitpicky, I know San Islanders care about that stuff. But, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, it's safe to say that this is not going to be the last site that'll be developed for these purposes. There's, there's possibilities of a third site that sort of there's rumblings about already. So it really serves as another step to adding green jobs. We hear all the time about green jobs, about what, what these are, but more of them are going to be happening in the coming years and this is sort of one of those examples of first of all domestic green jobs these are on staten island that that, that could be good jobs so i mean it really does work to fulfill that idea of as you mentioned our former borough president jimmy Otto, you know termed the, the the jobs coast we'll be right back the mayor of maple avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about sean sinnesey a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to The Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. 
you touched on this a little bit earlier, but that Rossville site isn't the only place on Staten Island that's been slated for offshore wind. So there's also the one in Richmond Valley that you discussed uh, called the Arthur Kill Terminal, which is kind of which has been looking for some federal funding. They haven't received it yet, but the developers seem to be hopeful that it could still come this year at some point. So what can you tell our listeners kind of about that site, what they're planning there and, and what the status is of, of these federal grant requests? Yeah. So, I mean, to start, some of our readers may know uh, about the South Brooklyn Marine Terminal and the Port of Albany. Both of those, I mean, this is obviously an exciting thing. Both of those ports received federal grants um, earlier this year. Um, and, and it was obviously a big deal because this is, like I said, part of New York State's goals to, to transition to wind energy and to produce way more wind energy than we have right now. And it was a bit of a downer for the Arthur Kill Terminal because the Arthur Kill Terminal was looking for those same funds, which would be... And the Arthur Kill Terminal, for people who, who don't know, is basically situated just below the outer bridge. One of the main draws of that site is that it's not locked by bridges on both sides, which doesn't means it doesn't have as many restrictions in terms of what could be transported out of it. Basically, it, it did a round of funding requests, didn't get it. It was its first round. The developers told me that it wasn't surprising. I mean, this is something that I think anybody can sort of understand. The South Brooklyn Marine Terminal, Port of Albany, have already been through a couple rounds. They basically did their time, quote unquote. <laughs> and, and so it was basically their turn. And, and we we saw Senator Schumer sort of got behind the South Brooklyn Marine Terminal, which gave it a lot of clout too. And Schumer definitely, you know, said outright that the Arthur Kill Terminal should be there. But like I said, this is a, something that it was just their time. So the next round of funding um, is going to be. It, it was already put out in February of this year. We should hear about that in the coming months. And the developers were excited about that because there was even more funding available in this round than there was in previous rounds, making them more optimistic that Arthur Kill Terminal will take a chunk of that and then obviously get that site going. But they they, they, they tell me that it's, it's basically... Um, it's on schedule, and they're not too concerned about it at this point in terms of it being, you know, dead in the water, quote unquote, you know, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, we you you touched on it a little bit earlier when we were talking about some of the about the other site, but but what exactly are are these developers envisioning at that Arthur Kill Terminal? Yeah, sure. So this is going to be a pretty state of the art assembly facility. Basically, the Arthur Kill Terminal would serve as a location where these massive turbines are assembled prior to being shipped out to the Atlantic Ocean. Um, to be put in these farms um, out there. And like I said, we, we talk about the New York bite, but there are other options too that could develop over time. It has a pretty wide range of, of what it can do. So there's a lot of opportunity there for it to be a player in that field. Right. And so, you know, in addition to these local projects here on Staten Island that we've been discussing, you mentioned this earlier, but Governor Kathy Hochul has also announced plans for New York to make a massive investment in offshore wind in the state budget. Uh, I believe it was $500 million. So can you tell us a little bit more about those plans and and why state officials are now looking to invest so heavily into this industry? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I I mentioned a bit of that investment before, but more, more broadly, the state has a goal of reaching 9,000 megawatts of offshore wind energy by 2035. And 2035 really isn't that far away. So there's a lot of work to be done in that, in that area. And, and that would power around 30% of the state. And it would wow. also bring around 10,000 jobs. So so it, it, it would it would have really dual purposes in, in the sense that it would create domestic jobs, but then also transition our energy to a more domestic source. Those benefits are also coupled. And, and you know, this is sometimes secondary, but it really should be primary. We, we have a desperate need to shift away from energy sources that are warming the atmosphere. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time to do that. There's a pretty wide consensus in recent IPCC reports sort of mention how important it is that 
any energy source that's releasing greenhouse gases into the air at this point is going to warm the planet further. And we're already seeing some impacts of climate change. We're going to see more of them in the coming years and then decades. But how bad that gets really depends on how efficient we are at moving away from those sources and into more cleaner sources. And offshore wind is, is about as clean as it gets. You know, as you know, some of the stuff that we report on can can seem very high level when you first discuss it. It can be kind of difficult to understand and to grasp the impact that it can have on the everyday Staten Islander. So kind of why should borough residents care about these projects? I mean, how might this benefit them in their day to day lives? This stuff definitely does come. I mean, initially, anything that has to do with energy or science in general often is is difficult. And and I, and I don't consider myself incredible at at understanding all of it but i think that actually helps because it, it makes me try to understand it and then hopefully i can transmit that a little bit better but i mean there are a few elements of offshore wind that i think staten islanders uh, should be interested in one it creates jobs here um which obviously you know the borough residents care about it's also a domestic energy source um and therefore it could potentially lower the price of buying electricity from the grid and remove some of the external factors that come with relying on foreign products to fuel our everyday lives i mean we're seeing that right now obviously with with gas on a more subtle but i feel equally important level uh it, it's a far cleaner energy source and i feel like i'm, I'm beating a dead horse here but i mean it doesn't pr- produce greenhouse gas emissions and when we talk about staten islanders what they care about now we have, we have a lot of people that are currently positioned physically on the borough that could be in danger i mean we, we saw obviously with hurricane sandy what it did to us and while that isn't directly related to climate change it's a little glimpse of the sort of uh, dangers that rising tides can have with storm surges and, and, and how it can displace people. I mean, we're still dealing with, you know, resiliency efforts from that now. And then last year we deal with Ida when people who aren't even by the coast who think that they're not, they don't have to worry about that, see what extreme rainfall can do. And that, that extreme rainfall is expected to happen more often in the coming decades by 2050 and then really, really more so by 2080 and 2100, which once again, it seems far away, but, you know, residents who have children now those children will likely see that those years. So ensuring that, you know, as a state, we move away from that, you know, can do a lot to limiting how devastating those impacts uh, can be for us. And, you know, that's why I think if, if you're a Staten Islander and, you know, you care about the, the more immediate impacts, maybe maybe it makes your, your energy bill cheaper. That's great. But there's also some long term impacts, too. That is obviously part of this this greater vision, you know, away from fossil fuels. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You, you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's definitely in part that we want these jobs, right? And more jobs, always a good thing. Cheaper energy, always a good thing. But like you said, because of where we are positioned as a borough and, and kind of you know, our vulnerability to these inclement weather events that is only going to grow in the coming years, uh, anything that we can do to, to kind of protect ourselves and, and to, to fight back against that is, is obviously a huge positive. So I think that this is going to be something that is going to be great for the borough, for the state, for the country in the coming years. And I look forward to reading or reporting as these projects progress. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, obviously following this one and then the Arctic Hill Terminal as well and seeing what other plans develop on the island. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit silive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.